In the immortal words of Frank Kumasoto, study and grow strong. This is Road Warrior Otwell. Greetings, it's Road Warrior Otwell. I got to thinking. You know what happens later this week? The band restricted changes to, to Magic and tried before Worlds. Usually, it used to be that Worlds or any other some major event that happens to use a format that doesn't get used very often, i.e. the Invitational, for instance, took a major look at a Vintage. The Worlds this year will be taking a major look at, at Legacy. There was always, every year we had the, the Vintage World Championships and the Legacy World Championships. And I got to thinking, some of us are expecting a change to Vintage and or Legacy right about this time of the year based on the data they got back from the Vintage World Championship a few months ago, the Legacy World Championship a few months ago, and what they're expecting to see out of the Legacy environment of Worlds, and people, therefore, testing the preparing, etc. Now, I'm not an expert in Vintage. I'm not an expert in Legacy. I understand that. There's a few things in there that seem to still not make sense to me as to why they aren't legal or why they are still legal in some of those formats, legal as in restricted versus banned, restricted for Vintage and banned in Legacy, because it seems like I think there's a few things that need to be banned in Legacy to make it more fair and more open to the world as a format to make it more effective for Grand Prix usages, etc., especially if we consider to use consider to have or continue to have Grand Prix in Legacy every year or two. But um but I got to thank it while I was at work today. There's one major injustice still in type one, in my opinion. One major injustice about the sanctioned vintage format. People forever, for years, have always argued that it's too costly to enter the format, as is on a competitive sanction level, hence why the popularity of things like proxy tournaments have showed up. There's uh, some several major unsanctioned tournament series using vintage every year, especially on the East Coast. Uh, Five Color, for instance, is a major proponent of use of Moxon, Lotus, etc. And we know they're never going to reprint those cards. We know there's never going to be a reprinting of any Moxon, Lotus, etc. They may go as far as having like a special foil version of a card or two or three given out each year to, at the Vintage World Championships just because that would be kind of a cool novel promo card that they can do. Promo cards they can print all they want without violating the reprint policy. We know they're not going to do anything that violates that reprint policy at this point. If there ever was going to make a change to it it would have been the return of dual lands back into Magic. Instead they gave us the Ravnica duels as a replacement when the last major uprising of discussion about that happened came along and we know at this point, yeah, it's like it's pretty safe to say that the dual lands will never, the actual original dual lands will never come back. None of the other cards on that reprint list will ever come back. They do a pretty hard jobs, though I can somehow see them someday making a mistake of accidentally reprinting some obscure card that happens to be on that list without noticing it and just ends up in a core set someplace or an expansion and then cause a major outcry, which will probably finally get the list thrown out the door because the reprint policy in general is a piece of worthless trash. All it does is prevent a number of cards from being printable again, when in all reality is the cards that it's supposed to, quote, protect the value of would never have been reprinted again anyways because of the power level purposes. And those cards that are reprintable on that list, or that are on that list, but power level-wise could be reprinted again, are virtually worthless at this point value-wise, which, so it doesn't protect that job either. It doesn't actually do the job that the reprint list when originally released like 12 years ago was ever intended to do in the first place. It's a worthless policy. I do wish they would eventually scrap it and just be honest with the fact that cards on this, the cards that are not going to ever reprint is because of power level, and they should open up the world to bring back Tithe, for instance, which is not broken, or, you know, a number of other cards that are on that list. But but I was thinking, because of the the, the, recent, the, deep, the continued surge of the popularity of Vintage at times, the outrageous price of some of those cards in that format, like, did you know a white-bordered Black Lotus can now run you about 1500 on eBay? 
in average condition, you know, definitely worn a little bit. Beta black bordered ones can run you like two to three grand depending on condition. If they're rated condition based on, um, I think they call it ESI or I don't remember the rating system, but like there's some companies out there you just pay to rate sports cards and magic cards and other cards and they rate it based on condition, quality, blah, blah, blah. If you can get a nine plus rating on like a Lotus, you're talking about close to 10 grand in value if you ever sold it for a black bordered. Uh, highest I've ever seen, uh, the most expensive magic card I've ever seen is a herd sold is like is like, was a, a nine rated summer magic hurricane which went for something like 14 grand it's like welcome to the lottery if you win that but so anyways i got the thing is like well how could vintage be more open to the world how could legacy be more open to the world especially for grand prix players because we know that the dual lands i'd hate to have to feel the need to go get a full set of dual lands which probably run you close to a grand for revised white bordered ones just because you need to have them for some legacy tournament or whatever so but bring back something that was printed many 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 years ago after the release of beta about the time unlimited came on the shelves or so they put a special collector's edition set of beta as a factory box set that was 100 percent of the cards as is the only differences between it and a regular magic card was the back side had a gold border to it and wrote collector's edition in the middle they printed 5,000 copies of those factory sets they also printed there were 10,000 international edition collector's edition beta set factory sets printed there was 5,000 regular collector's edition beta sets printed 15,000 copies of which at least a third to half of which have been destroyed in the last 12 years because people would clip the corners or there was a period of time where some people used to deface them in order to separate the back of the card from the front of the card and then paste the front back to uh, a defaced land in order to make a poorly glued together mock etc. Pretty much what I'm getting at is well actually the most common use of them nowadays is either A five color or B in proxy tournaments or regular vintage type 1 tournaments where they clip the corners almost identical to beta and that before when people play them in opaque sleeves they get used and you never really know if they are in fact legitimate or not without making them de-sleeve their deck and a few percentage of people get away in tournaments all the time by sticking them in opaque sleeves with the clipped corners basically getting away with it because they don't bother telling anybody they don't have real moxes or quote legal moxes when they're using the collector's edition ones or ancestral recall or dual lands etc 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 because they look identical to beta on the front side front of the card identical look to beta it's just the back side happens to have this little gold border with a writing so everything else is identical to a magic card except the square corners all that combined and people clip those corners and make them identical to beta in order to get away with it so what I'm thinking is those cards we know that at least a third to half of them have been destroyed over the years for whatever reason or lost or put away shelved definitely you know whatever how dangerous it, it can't be very dangerous to allow the collector's edition sets to be type 1 legal seriously those two sets which were printed 14, 000, 14 years ago they're not reviolating the reprint policy they were created by Watsi as an official product of magic they just weren't made tournament legal at the time. At the same time, alpha cards were not tournament legal at the time, and they weren't tournament legal for 12 solid years, unless you had an all-alpha deck, which never happened, because people just didn't own that many. We know there was only 1,100 original alpha lotuses printed. There was something like 2,250 beta lotuses printed, and about 5,000 unlimited lotuses printed. Now, considering half the lotuses in the world happen to be international slash collector's editions that are still not completely destroyed, those are that's almost 50% of the actual lotuses in the world, not including the fact that back in 95, 96, and 97, there was some companies out of Eastern Asia, or some groups out of Eastern Asia, and some group out of Illinois and Iowa that were printing fake moxes and lotuses and selling them for large amounts of money. In fact, I would venture to say that probably a third to, no, not a third, 
probably something like 10% of the moxes and lotuses used in tournaments today are probably fake ripoffs. If you take an actual magic card back from the time area back then, and you look at it from the top down onto the uh, actual thin part, looking at thin-wise, right? Real Lotus would have a black mark in the middle. It happens to be that they use some kind of black ink that press the two layers together. It happens to show up in ultraviolet light. It also happens to have a couple other reactive agents that they can tell whether or not a card's legit or not. Now, if you take a card, also, from when back then, just any card, make it land, whatever, can be revised. You can talk about last time I did it was, I think the last card I ripped up like that was uh, actually Ravnica, so it probably is every card magic then. If you rip it, rip it at a certain angle in the center so that you can separate the areas, you can identify pieces of cardboard, the two different pieces of cardboard in the, in the ink in the middle, you'll find this black, gluish ink that happens to be, it's, like, it's not really black, it's like a dark purple. Dark purple ink there, and every real magic card had that. Uh, many of the fake magic cards did not have that. And you can tell that either by looking from the top down, you can check the bend, because real legitimate magic cards will bend uh, opposite end to opposite end without bend, without uh, cracking or bending the card permanently. And you can check that with, mo- with modern day cards too. The only diff- the only um, anomaly to that being is that a certain series of uh, Mirage was printed with a much thicker and stickier lacquer on them by a company who was experimenting as their first series of print runs from for Watsi. For uh, so Mirage is actually a little different in that matter, but ignoring Mirage, you can bend magic cards from end to end without even cracking or uh, permanently being bent. So, or you can get take a take a microphone glass, and if you know what you're looking at, you can tell the dotting on the actual card. Does it look like with a print by a, by a an archaic printer back from the late 90s, like a laser colored laser printer, or if it looks like, or maybe even a, a colored dot matrix, or does or inkjet, or does it look like something that was professionally printed? You can also tell that by looking at it close enough. And there's an, at short glance, people get away with those, but anyone who knows what they're looking at will tell you whether or not it's a fake by looking at it. And I have seen more than a few fakes. In fact, a friend of mine, uh, Lou Christopher up in Denver, well, now he lives in Denver, at the time he was living here in Springs, bought a fake Lotus off eBay paying $800 for an unlim- what it was told to be an unlimited. And I told him, when I looked at that, sh- that, I told him straight up, dude, this is fake. You got ripped off. And what did he do? Turned around and resold it on eBay, as is, and got back his money. Versus, you know, doing anything else like turning the guy in for selling fakes. But, you know, that's, I told him he should have turned the guy in, but he didn't. So, so it's very easy to come across many, many fake Lotuses out there still, or other high-dollar cards. And people get away with the collector edition cards all the time in tournaments with the with the opaque sleeves back, opaque back sleeves, the same thing that are required by Alpha. Now, what I'm getting at is we already have this rule now in place to allow people to use Alpha cards, which increased the tournament collection of playable Moxes and Lotuses by almost... 40% oh, at the top of the time that was currently being used, roughly. Well, maybe not 40%, maybe it was like 25%. Because Alpha was approximately four-tenths the size of Beta for the print run, from what we know. Now, they allow Alphas by using these opaque sleeves. The same thing can be done to allow Collector's Editions cards now anyways. People already try to get away with tournaments illegally. It only hurts sanctioned tournaments, and it would only affect two formats, both of which are Eternal, Vintage, and Legacy, by allowing any of those cards in those two sets, because... Everything else is playable from that time frame. Very few people would actually use in modern day magic, with the exception of maybe a disenchant and maybe Circle Red for extended, maybe Stone Rain and extended, and maybe the lands, I suppose, the basic lands. But even then, that can still be dealt with by the same rule that allows Alpha cards to be used, and that is with the opaque black back sleeves. 
other reasons why Watsi should consider the use of those cards in sanctioned tournaments is because A, the majority of vintage tournaments now being run nowadays happens to be proxy tournaments. This does not impact that problem at all. In fact, it helps reduce the likelihood of, of a tournament being sanctioned versus unsanctioned. Watsi would, while they have to, well, well let's see, Watsi R&D approves of the idea or more or less likes the idea that people are running vintage tournaments at all. They do not officially like or approve of the idea of proxy being used in tournaments because it, the idea goes against the idea of selling cards and they cannot formally support that. So therefore, those tournaments are not allowed to be sanctioned. R&D and DCI realize that, therefore they cannot sanction those tournaments. However, they also realize the popularity of those tournaments because of the financial implications of what it takes for a player to play in, in those types of tournaments. Now, I think that 14 years since these cards were printed is more than long enough to naturally get them distributed around the world. We're not going to negatively impact the format by virtually doubling or increasing the number of potential playable cards on the power and in those formats by half to double what they currently are. Either you increase them by 50% up to 100%, depending on how many of them still are intact versus have been destroyed completely or lost completely. It would help to allow the DCI to sanction more legacy tournaments in Grand Prix without, without a negative financial impact to the players or nearly as deep of a negative financial impact. It would allow Vintage to be more playable on a large scale because we do know that they love the idea of using Vintage for the Invitational. It would be nice if they could ever use it again for Worlds, or at least as a major secondary Pro Tour event, much like 96 Dallas, where Vintage was in fact a full-scale Pro Tour event with invited players based on Vintage ratings. It would be nice if they had like that along the size of what a Masters maybe was, or a one-day Grand Prix for invite-only type, uh, an invite-only tournament for the side of a Pro Tour. It'd be nice if they ever had that took that option one day give like a 64-person vintage tournament at the Pro Tour that be worthy of another Pro Tour or worthy of a, as a secondary Pro Tour, much like they did in Dallas 96. Much of the reason people did not want them used so many years ago to be legal was because of the financial impacts that they had concern about their collection. Well, we know for a fact that no matter what happens, we have proxy tournaments now that don't that allows people to play without even owning a Lotus. We have five-color tournaments. We have five-color as a format, which actually is the number one cause to why dual lands and power nine cards just become so valuable because they're actually the primary users of them. Plus vintage, vintage proxy tournaments plus legacy tournaments. Well, even though we allow all those other options there, even though the proxy tournaments have not taken away the thunder from vintage. In fact, they increased the popularity of it. That, along with five colors of format, has increased the popularity of it. Both of those are the reasons why the format continues to grow, day in, day out, growing, growing, growing. Albeit very small amount of growth, it still grows. Those cards still become go up in value. Every time you go look, every six months, you go check the values of those, you'll notice that those cards went markedly up some amount of value. Adding... One of the reasons they did not want to add these cards to the to sanctioned tournaments years and years and years ago was because of the financial impact people had about protecting their investment. Same reason of the, of the reprint policy. In the end, it's just a bunch of bogus argument because if we increase the, the playability of these formats, the popularity of those formats will grow, and the demand for those cards will also grow too. They may at best cause a very short two to three month drop in some price, or maybe just stay stable. They're more than likely to stay stable than not. And then over time, so all those prices, the gold bordered, the gold bordered beta, as I'll call it from now on, will increase in value to match the unlimited cards, 
And then the whole group will just continue to grow from this point point on once that happens. It won't take very long for them to catch up, and they certainly won't lose in value in the process. Now, people might worry about the distribution of the cards. Well, if there were just, was there anybody who's actually worried about the global distribution of vintage cards need to check themselves because they're, look, they're talking about vintage to begin with, which was never lo- globally distributed in the first place. Over years, cards have spread out worldwide, sure. These cards have spread out worldwide naturally, too, by people who want them as an alternative or as means to get away with the use of those cards in tournaments. They've been globally distributed by now through sheer chance, through sheer natural trading and sales, etc. Well, all they're going to do is just increase the number of playable cards out there now in, in tournaments, pretty much. It's not going to stop people from using them for casual decks. It's not going to stop people from still wanting to pay for them. Hell, you can get a collector's edition gold bordered beta Lotus now. It's for several hundred dollars on eBay, even though... Say the unlimited one is going for a thousand. It's a fifteen hundred. You can get a, the the gold board beta one for a third to half that right now. Why? Because still people will use them and will want those as alternatives to just get away with them. Now, considering that in three days from now they're going to be dropping the new ban and restricted list on us, I know this podcast will not be posted by then. I hope. I did send out an email to Aaron Forsythe, Mark Rosewater, and Scott Larrabee to encourage them to reconsider this idea this year round. Probably the first time I sent them any kind of encouraging letter like this in like four or about four years, I think, on this particular topic at least. And I think considering next year is Magic's 15th anniversary, it would give a nice promotional slash birthday present to the vintage crowd. That's the 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 one old the oldest format. The format has been with it since day one. It would give a nice 15th year birthday present to the world's oldest, or the, the oldest magic format by a market increase in the availability of it to everybody else to be able to play in the station format, in the station-based format with the addition of these cards. And like I said, we have the play, we have the rules in place already to handle alpha. We should be able to do the same rules handling, the same kind of cards handling as we do with alpha can easily be applied to the same set of cards. Yeah, they were not originally printed for tournaments, but you got to remember, tournaments didn't exist when they were originally printed to begin with. That doesn't seem like a valid argument to me either, for that very reason. Tournaments came after those were printed. If you look back to when the DCI reset their database in 95, removing all the old tournaments at that point, they reset their database on December 1st, 95. So even the DCI itself hasn't had a, a database in existence now that's going on. Well, you know, it's about to celebrate its 13th year in existence as of next week at the World Championships. Well, these cards were printed 14 years ago. They were not a consideration for the format when they were printed. They were considered a nice novelty factory set. Maybe it's time to make them more than just a novelty. Now, the only argument you can see being against the idea of implementing this was the availability of the other gold border cards that they printed that don't have magic backs to them either. They, i.e. the Pro Tour 1 decks and the World Championships decks that they printed for 10 years. All right, yes, you may have to concede that those will become legal too if you allow the Collector's Edition beta to be legal in tournaments. But let me remind you that none of those cards have been printed for standard legal sets now because they stopped being printed in, 95, in uh, 2005 after 10 years of being printed. I know I have all 44 decks available in a box that we used to play games with all the time. This uh, is a nice break from playing playing Magic. We play other Magic, basically. Nice break from Standard and Extended is when we bust them out and just play random matchups. So you people back into a good mood, as it were. It's very good for the playtesting, too. Keeps motivation and, uh, and enjoyment up, levels up. 
And granted, if we, if we do allow the collector's edition beta set, it does have the side effect of having more dual lands playable in Legacy. And if they made this announcement this week, which I would hope they would, but you never know, it may have to take them a year or two of this encouraging to finally get them to do it, it could increase the, the ability for Legacy to, and would be a major buzz as an announcement at Worlds if they did it this year. But even in the end, if they add it in the come October change in the rules, if they add it then, that's fine too. The October 2008, which happens also to be the rotation of like of the extended format again, where extended becomes all new card faced for uh, sets and drops off all the older sets. Basically, eighth edition and Mirrodin forward becomes extended in 2008, October 20th, and that's going to be a major upheaval in extended, both in its playability and its popularity. We lose a lot of things like the Sacklands. We lose things like Pernicious Deed. Duress, Cabal Therapy, lots and lots of cards going to be lost in that format change. And to the point where every time we do a rotation of Extended, it usually there's a player outcry for a new format in Magic, which, quote, keeps the cards legal. And that's eventually why Legacy both became popular and became refined into a playable format of its own, was to help society those cries and to give them a home to them, a place to call home pretty much to those players because they also broke out the legacy being tied to what vintage was at the time when they did that used to be known originally as classic and classic restricted classic was the quote vintage and classic restricted was the legacy which didn't make any sense because the classic restricted had only banned lists not restricted lists but that's just a bad naming convention back then they also called it 1.5 or 1.x became extended. Well, we called it 1.5, then 1.x became extended when it got renamed. But, yeah, I mean, we're going to be losing, we're going to make it our, our third major, third? I think. Yeah, this will be our third major extended rotation coming up. Well, effectively, now moved out 10 years worth of sets from usage and extended at that point. That's a impressive thing to think about. It'll be 10 years of cards and sets you can no longer use in extended tournaments. So let me just say, let's start the outcry. Let's encourage everybody to in, let's have everybody encourage Watsi to reconsider a policy and legalize the use of the collector's edition beta in tournaments via the same rule that allows people to use alpha cards in tournaments. It took 10 years to get them to finally reverse the rule and decision that didn't allow alpha like originally to, lift, to make them finally do it. Well, we're going on 14 years now of this injustice still being out there. It's time to write that, to write that wrong as well. Give the nice shot in the arm to the old vintage format. This is Road Warrior Otwell signing off. Oh, yeah, one last thing. I ordered my new podcast recorder this week, and it's gonna, I'm switching out from this piece of crap Panasonic RRUS 360 to a Olympus WS 311, which is far better quality recording, far more time recording. It actually doubles as a, as a MP3 player in thumb drive, which plugs directly into the machine and records in a native recording format that allows me to just drag and drop the files over and straight to editing instead of having to record, playback in real time, record in Odyssey at real time via headphone jack and hope that the sound quality and, and the equalization levels pan out all right. So I'm so looking forward to the new podcast recorder. It'll help the sound quality of these podcasts be recorded to be improved greatly. On top of that, it also records not only natural Windows media uh, format, but it also has a stereo microphone, as well as additional add-ons that allow me to have directional microphones for uh, noisy places and stuff. So, yeah. So, anyways, that's why I'm going to let you know that as well. It's Red War Outwell signing off for the day.